today's show requires a content warning and trigger warning. We'll be talking about the perversions of Salvador Dali and some of his sexual misconduct and exploitative behavior. It's not too intense, but it's definitely something that we're going to get into. And so if you've got kids around or you don't want to be thinking about that right now, skip on to the next show. Time and again, you have called yourself a genius and you're very serious about this. Now you want to be evidently, you want to be a genius in two fields. First of all, you have called yourself a genius. In yes? many different fields, you know. You? Yes. What else besides an artist? Uh, the more important in my life, more color glue, more color okay. painting, more color my draftsmanship is my personality. Draftsmanship? My personality oh, is more important than every of these little facets of, of my activity. In other words, what is most important to you is my personality. Is Dali. expressing Dali. Dali. Not yes. the painting, not the clowning, nothing but... The painting, the clowning, the showmanship, the technique, everything is only one manner for express the total personality of Dali. I see. I see. In the early 20th century, a young man named Salvador Dali would spend his Sundays at the Prado. And there he certainly would have seen the work of Hieronymus Bosch. Hieronymus Bosch, often when he's viewed, especially through works like The Garden of Earthly Delights, is often seen as a precursor, a prototype, a forerunner of the Surrealist art movement. The Surrealist art movement eventually ejects Salvador Dali from its ranks because of his life and some of his flirtations with fascism. And because of this, he is a very complicated figure and consuming his art is also complicated. Well, Stacy and I, here in Monterey, California, were able to go to a little museum that had an exhibit, a permanent exhibit of Dali work. And we were conflicted about it, we'll tell you about that, but the reason we're talking about this today is that in this season, season four, as we're talking about the things that we find nourishing, the things that we take into ourselves, both figuratively and literally, uh, includes art. You know, when we are dealing with food, what do we consume and how is that going to affect our health and our spiritual well-being? Well, the same thing is uh, worth considering when it comes to the world of art. What are we looking at? What are we feeding off of visually? And how does that affect us? And how can we appreciate somebody who did some pretty nasty things in their actual real life? Can we separate art from the artist? What should we be taking in? That's what we're looking at today. Thanks for being with us. We're so glad you're here. Let's go. Hey, Stacey, we got a note from one of our pals who has been around for a while. We see him from time to time as he comes through town, the truck driver, Badger Smith. He wrote in to kind of weigh in on that question at the end of last season, what should we be talking about? And we've kind of responded in a way, I think, that, that suits his request. What was he saying? Yeah, he, he mentioned um, you know, spirituality of food, nature, exercise, music, gatherings, gardening, worship, and the road. That's what we're going to do, man. <laughs> the only thing we're going to add today is art, because I think that fits in really nicely. On the road, we have the chance to check in on cultural sites. We saw a nice, uh, you know, adobe uh, building where we sat out and had uh, had some kombucha and had some uh, had some bread and just a wonderful <laughs> uh, to kind of get some sun because it was kind of going back and forth between cold and a little bit of warmth here in Monterey, California, right by the sea, a lot of marine layer. It's kind of edging towards summer, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, we <clears throat> we got this really delicious, fresh sourdough bread. Definitely not vegan. Loaf, so yeah. This is our weekend vegetarianism. <laughs> with our <laughs> But we, we got that to go with the delicious olive oil that we acquired when yes. we were staying um, through Harvest House. We, we stayed at uh, 43 Ranch Olive Oil Company with them. And, um, and then we also got some yummy... Uh, balsamic vinaigrette. And yes. 
Anyway, so we're, we're excited to do that olive oil justice with with some delicious bread. Yeah. And yeah. it was hilarious because this is a round ro- loaf. And it's in a bag that they gave us. And, and Jeff is like <laughs> sticking his hand in this bag and just like peeling off these yeah. little you know pieces of bread. <laughs> I ate it like a brute. You know. and he's like, oops. <laughs> he holds up the loaf. It's like maybe like three fourths of a loaf by the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Before we even get back to our camper. I was like was, some kind of cute. pest, you know, like a rat that got into your uh, <laughs> storehouse. Oh, no, it was fine. Though. It was great. It was fine. But I mean, I did consume <laughs> a lot of that bread before we got it home to yeah. the oil. Well, we needed some uh, fuel before we uh, headed yep. up the hill. So we're staying at this great campsite. We were able, it's like a first come first serve, which is works best for us because we don't <laughs> totally plan out our trip ahead of time. Yes. And we happen to be here during a holiday weekend. We prefer not to pay for our places of stay, where we stay. But going up the coast, it's not as easy. You know, you've got a stealth camp. There are not those those wide open options along the coast that you see inland a little bit with the dispersed camping. So once in a while, like this weekend, well, when it's Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, especially when you know there's a holiday coming up and that spaces are going to be sparse. So we wanted to make sure that we for sure had somewhere uh, to, to rest comfortably, which that rest is very, you know, it is nice to yes. know that we're allowed to be in a spot. Nobody's no going to come <laughs> knocking at the door at 1 a.m. The or dog anything. is curled up on the ground waiting for her dear friend to come by. And we've Not got her a dear friend, but her friend who is a deer. Yes. And they just kind of look at each other. Yeah, that is cute. Yeah, we have, um, well, we'll have to post a picture of Bindi looking out the window at the deer. And anyway, it was really cute. But it is nice to be able to sort of settle down for a couple of days. Yeah catch our breath <laughs> and just enjoy the nature. We have this, we look out into this nice um, treat area and it looks foresty and we found a nice walking path that takes us straight into town and, and cuts the walk probably by a half an hour. Yeah. Cause <laughs> we use the nice little app here on the, on the phone mm-hmm. and we said walking directions <laughs> and that really helped us out. Yeah. So it's a beautiful walk into town, and, but, but it is up, Uphill and, and well, downhill all the way down. So we we know that it's easier going down than coming back up. But that goes back to why I was eating the bread. Yes, <laughs> I need for, those carbs to eat the fuel. Convert. Yes, because <laughs> you were also, you know, bracing yourself for the the hike back up. But anyway, so the reason that we went into town, as you were mentioning the other day, was for the Dolly exhibit. Yes, interesting. Um, it's an interesting kind of thing, and I think maybe the first reflection I'd have on it is that I appreciated it. And I'm very grateful that, that, that it was there for us and the people were lovely. Um, but I do think that it's important for us to remember as we're thinking about this question, how do we properly consume anything in our lives? How do we feed ourselves? This is, a, this is the theme for the season, nourishment. And if you can, really help yourself out, I think, to appreciate life and art and things by, by appreciating the vocation of the curator you know, there's the artist, mm-hmm. and then there's this art of curation. And I think if, you know, we were down down uh, at Bubble Park, um, and, and when we were checking out the Dolly um, and other stuff down mm-hmm. there, it was really nice because they set it up in relation to other surrealists. They, they, had, right. they had a way of taking you through the art and helping you to, to set it and understand it and appreciate it well. Whereas sometimes, like in the case, this was a private collection. A lot of it is, um, you know, reproductions, limited reproductions, signed by Dolly, um, and, and important because it's helpful for us to kind of look at, as we're going to talk about, some of his perversion, also some of his religion, and mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of what's here. So if you're interested in that aspect, I think it's pretty cool. Um, well, but well, it was yeah. interesting because we've had a little bit of exposure to Dolly, like you said, we saw a couple pieces yeah. when we were in San Diego. I believe that's the San Diego Museum of Art, but it's down there at the at the, the interesting. The Prado Prado is the address, mm. <laughs> right? Like that's that idea, but it's not the Prado. And it's in Balboa Park. Balboa with Park a bunch in of San other Diego museums, yeah. and it's a great place to check out. You can wander around there, have a picnic lunch. There's a there's a Guanyin there. There's some Bosch paintings. There's uh, some some sculpture. Just if you want the full thing, you want ancient stuff, you want modern stuff. It's really one of my favorite museums I've mm-hmm. been to, and we've been to a few. Right, right. Uh, but 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 it reminds me how important the art of curation is, and in, in this case, I think um, here's his art. Well, I mean, this yeah. is kind of what we saw. Like here's his art. It was good. It was it, there was a lot of stuff to see, and um, and it was convenient right there. It's, I'm glad we we had it. So we've had a limited exposure to Dolly, and then we found out that 
the other day, uh, so it, just like the day before the opening of this exhibit that they were, you know, it was going to be opening and that was a chance to see it. So we were like, okay, well, you know, we don't really know that much about Dolly. I mean, we right. know his name. You've, we know his, his, his stature in intellectual public life and history, you and, know, of the sixties and seventies. And, and you've been at a couple different colleges where they've had pieces of his artwork. Yeah. We have. We've actually both worked at those colleges, yes. now that you think about it. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yep. <laughs> Trinity Lutheran College had a uh, a bronze kind of uh, piece where it, it was the crucifixion. And then there is an ink-drawn uh, crucifixion that is at Concordia University. I think part of it is one of the things I noticed that I hadn't thought of before is there's a certain kind of Kincaid factor to Dolly collection. I, mm. I just wasn't aware of that part of it, which is there the multiple is prints. so much, yeah, so many of these lithographs. And in, in addition, Dolly was kind of a hustler. And so he would allegedly sign blank um, canvases or, or, or paper or whatever, and then they would print onto it. Well, and that was rumored, especially later in his, well, yeah, like later in life, because he's just going to make money. It's like it's kind right. of like when 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 somebody's kind of not getting a lot of work, mm -hmm. but they were in like Battlestar Galactica or something. They they make their money signing autographs later on. You know, like in mm -hmm. the sci fi world, the Comic Cons and so forth. Mm -hmm. So he was doing this before anybody else really right. caught on. So we started to peer a little closer into the life of Dolly, and we really weren't too impressed with what we heard. You know, even some very troubling things very troubling stuff yeah you know so one of one of the so one of the examples was that there was uh, a, a model that he often used uh, women models he was fascinated with the female form so the nude women models would you know be there for him and then then allegedly or no, somebody, no, I think it's pretty. You know, she yeah. So she'll she even actually says it herself, right? So yeah. basically, the session I guess wasn't going that great, and then so she's taking a little breather and a rest, and her you know laying down on some couch with her hand over her eyes or on her forehead or whatever. And the next thing she knows is that he jumps on top of her and basically ejaculates almost immediately right onto her breasts yes. and. So he starts, then he starts licking it off of her. Yes. And she said, quote, that was the last time I worked with him. <laughs> right. Yeah. But she, so she got up, excused herself, cleaned herself up, put it back on her clothes and left. But as she was leaving, what he apologized uh, to her for was the fact that he didn't properly have sex with her, that he, he saves that only for his wife. But also, we we know that he struggles with impotence, impotence or that's right. the way he understands it. And really, this is, I think, a really uh, it's uncomfortable, but I think a helpful image of what was going on with this guy. Yeah, so I'm hearing some of these stories, and I'm like, do I really want to go see the art of this person who, you know, obviously has this you know, questionable character, right? Not as not as bad, arguably, as as say uh, a, a Bill Cosby, but not too far off. In that he also, you know, he would sometimes maybe give people an indication that he was doing this. He would hire models to be. Well, this unclad. is what, yeah, one of the uh, people at the museum had yeah. told us was yeah. that, yeah, that he would. They may or may not have known that they were going to get drugged, but the women would get drugged and. Um, and even be naked on, say, like a Rolls Royce for some sort of gathering that he was yeah. having and inviting, you know, all these, you know, wealthy people or whatever, the Hollywood scene and who knows. And then, you know, they would, as she said, but, you know, like they maybe kind of had a clue and they knew they were going to get paid like three times the amount of what they would otherwise conscious if they were conscious what they would get paid for in other words people as they consume dolly they all almost always recognize that he was a, a problematic figure that that maybe he just wasn't a good guy definitely a narcissist crazy mm -hmm. uh, the the woman at the at the uh, you know exhibit said yet yeah, he was a, a pervert and you don't really think about that word anymore and, but he was but that's a specific time and place where that makes a lot of sense that he's a pervert yeah and his art got more increasingly so as he got older so his later art she's she had told us was all um you know definitely far more explicit and 
had that sort of, you know, perversion in it. Meanwhile, some of it's very religious. Hence, we've yeah. got at two Christian colleges, Dolly pieces. And I, and I say about the Kincaid business because Thomas Kincaid is kind of... Um, a, a, an interesting s- scenario where there were a lot of you know middle class Christian moms that were buying his art, and it was kind of mass produced for that purpose, right? There were these these uh, like little boutique shops where they would just sell his stuff, and so you could have your own piece of fine art. But there's this this nagging sense that it's a hustle, the mm-hmm. Kincaid, mm-hmm. and in many ways Kincaid is just doing what Dolly was doing but in a different realm, right? Instead of the avant-garde bohemian art scene and the psychedelic scene of the 60s and 70s and then the, you know, whatever's going on in the early 80s. Like, he's he's there for this 20th century counterculture where Kincaid's kind of doing the same kind of production um, and sales model and, and even perfecting it, but to a different audience to conservative suburban Christian moms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the but the principle is the same. Like we want art and I want people to want art. I want people to buy art and put it on their walls and love it and not just feed ourselves. I think in the Protestant world, we starve ourselves or historically we've starved ourselves of aesthetics. And it, this is because they stripped out all the art in the, in the Catholic churches and got rid of the statues, you know, cause they were idols, but then they were just kind of so austere that there was no aesthetic left. You know, um, just whitewashed walls, lots and lots of talking, lots of sermons, that sort of thing. And so I'm glad people are getting back into art. But the problem is when people get into anything, yoga, art, diets, religion, they're easily swept up in the sucker moves, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm, 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 I'm exploring that with respect to him. Is he kind of suckering us? But. Well, and, and he did, you know, he made, he made a very big point in his life to sort of have have a look, you know. Yes. He very much, uh, you know, and it's, it seems like in real life he was almost as, you know, as strange and kind of, I don't know, creative with his own appearance and the things, you know, and then the he way was he, an event. he looked at it. He himself yeah. was an event in addition to his art. Which is fun in its own way. And yeah, I think sure. that people then, you know, were kind of drawn to that because like, what is this craziness? <laughs> and, you know, what is, what is this strangeness? And like, it just, you know, it seems so odd. And yet, and I know that, you know, that was part of what he prized himself. In. And then, and it is, it is sometimes like this, I kind of have the impression that he had some sort of charisma or at least a draw. Yeah. And I would say that it's interesting because even with the woman that I mentioned about um, that worked there that told us about drugging the women, um, the other women for the models, you know, or whatever on, and they weren't models at this point. They were just like at a party. What? And, you know, like being naked and drugged on like the Rolls Royce. She mentioned, but the, you know, but they got paid more and you know, the three times and, uh, or the other thing I hear a lot of people say is he, you know, yeah, he was terrible. He did so many bad things, but he was a good artist. Right. And so it's always that that butt piece that really kind of sort of jars me a little bit. And it's like I, you know, what the w- women who it's one thing if they are fully knowing what they're signing up for um, and then they, you know, want to participate in something because it's like, I don't know, maybe just being part of the mystique of it all or something. But I I get the sense that instead it was probably women that weren't doing, (laughs) weren't signing up out of empowerment, but maybe out of, you know, well, I need money or I want, you know, to make this three times the amount of money or whatever. But you want, you know, there's an exploitation piece of it that I don't appreciate, you know, the being, you know, exploitive of women or things. And, and, and that I think, they mentioned um, how much he was like a, a narcissist. And so right. I think that that also played into how he treated his models and other people. And and even, I would say, the vantage point at which he paints from, right? Yeah. So that that's all kind of, you know, the thing that when I think of, say, vocation and, um, you know, like here he was an artist, but like your whole life tells the whole picture yeah. of your spirituality. So it's yeah. not always just 
but he produced great art. I think you kind of have to take the whole package in if you're really going to live out your spirituality. Or if you're going to understand what, what's really going on with that art. Yeah. Like it's not so easily separated. Now, sometimes it can be. You know, we, but even if so, know. what I'm trying to say is, is that we, I think too often we dismiss terrible behavior, even in our own right. lives. Right. Because, I mean, That's because, the end, because it, you know, it's, what is it? The ends justifies the means kind of idea. Right. And I think that that is a sickness within ourselves when we don't see our entire lives as part of our spirituality. Yes. So what we yeah, do for work, yeah, 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 what yeah. we do, what we eat, what we do to entertain ourselves, everything goes into that. Yes. Yeah. And so it's very it's, easy yeah. for us to separate out. The consumption of it is one thing, but also just understanding people's lives. Are they consistent? Right. And this is like in the Christian tradition, you will know people by their love, what they eat, how they spend their money, all is related to their faith. And the same thing is true with Lao Tzu, for instance. We've translated a couple times something like, let your life be your art. Like your whole existence is your message, your sermon, your art, your whatever. Your right. being is uh, is something. And if it's disjointed, this is either a problem where you can't reconcile your lived experience with your ideological values or, or the things you've been taught, or what you're saying and what you're teaching actually is masking over, and this is a key question, is it that your theology or your philosophy is masking over your wickedness, right? Mm -hmm. Like Immanuel yes. Kant having some scheme, elaborate scheme of race right. so that you can mask colonialism and, and enslavement of people. So sort of do you think that that was coming into play uh, in Dolly's work? Because he did a lot of stuff, a lot of religious stuff. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, didn't like, you know, it wasn't like perverted religious stuff. No, not really. I mean, know? it was kind of There was sometimes Gnostic things that were, were challenging, yeah. definitely. Right. Uh, right. You know, some of the um, beliefs and stuff. But, but I'm saying, like, it, it almost... Do you think that there was sort of maybe... I don't know. I don't want to say penance, um, but maybe... I don't know. Maybe a hope that in some way that in... You know, he was afraid of death, right? And yeah. maybe he thought, like, well, if I contribute, you know, some some things towards uh, religion, you right. know, will I somehow be forgiven for the pieces in my life that maybe God wouldn't approve of? Right. I mean, we've seen this over and over again, the big cross uh, on mm -hmm. the hill in, in the Denver area, masking over a guy who probably molested his daughter. Um, the, the art of the Renaissance itself is funded by people who are usurers. They're exploiting people through their banking practices and they're making up for it by building chapels and paying, uh, you know, people like Michelangelo to, to create these great works of art and look how great they are. Look, they must be right. spiritual. They're doing this. And, but certainly for, for, for Dali, he, he, he said, you know, Hey, I'm a Catholic. I am religious without faith. Like he couldn't get the subjective part, the faith there, mm. but he was really worried about, about offending in that way, even though he did offend. And, and uh, I think that's interesting. There's also something that you pointed out with respect to uh, Israel and the yeah. 20th anniversary um, commemorative images that he created. I thought those were some of the best. Mm -hmm. what, why were you bringing that up? You were saying... I was just wondering if, if, we, if, I, if you thought that some of that would come into play with him, like maybe just trying to, like I said, do penance or somehow make things right, you know, with, I, I think so. Cause he was accused, he was accused of anti-Semitism. He sometimes fetishized like Hitler and Hitler imagery, uh, definitely said things that, uh, supported the fascists in Spain. And so, uh, he was, he was excluded. They, they excommunicated him from the surrealist club, because they were worried that he was too uh, he was too fascist, but what's interesting about this is that we see this quite often, right? Like this this actually comes up quite a lot in life and in culture, where where somebody is in this odd relationship with with strict religion, mm -hmm. and and I, I want to throw a thesis out there, and that is that what if perversion requires c 
Catholicism. Now, not Roman Catholicism only, but I mean something like that. In other words, he's got his kink, mm-hmm. but what makes him, but what makes it perverted, is that he's he's not able to reconcile his life and what's really going on inside of himself with Catholicism. But Catholicism provides a mechanism for that penance. Right. And and this and this of course is straight out of straight out of um uh like Zizek. Zizek says kind of like, you know, if you imagine the the hose, um, let's say the hose is sexuality and the Catholic Church is the thumb on the hose. Mm-hmm. When you have a, a, a hose without a, a nozzle, you, you put your thumb on the top to create that pressure so that the water shoots out with more strength. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, what Zizek thinks is the prohibitions of Catholicism about sex make sex sexier or, or kinkier in some ways. Yeah, so... And, and, and so you kind of need that. So what we do know um, is that apparently at a very young age, uh, Dolly found um, his daughter, his dad had like some sort of like medical book or whatever that um, showed some advanced stages of uh, venereal disease. Yes. And that really messed messed with his (laughs) head. So at a young age, this is like, as he's probably sort of learning about sexuality or the sexualness of his being, (laughs) this is what um, the images are in his mind. So whether that was, you know, that, that contributed in some way Mm -hmm. to, you know, his life and, and, and I think fear of the vagina, right? Yes. Now it's kind of like this deity that he, he would, he would paint it, mm -hmm. you know, but in his personal life, he seems to have been very fond of the male form. Yeah, and, right. and they say that he, he preferred anal sex. And that, so who knows? And then he, he liked young men around him, yeah. right? Prob- uh, probably bisexual or gay, right? Right. But had no way to deal with that. So it comes out in really strange ways, probably because he can't even, he can't even vocalize what is going on in his head. And so in his mind, you know, he, or at least, you know, from what he seems to say, the story is, is that he was faithful to his wife. Um, She was the only person that he was, he had, I guess. Actual penetrative sex. Right. Yes. Right. And, and then the rest of it, I don't really know. Right. Right. Ejaculation on people. We do know. Yeah. He masturbated incessantly. He would he would he would dress up like a king, look in the mirror and, and, and that masturbate. was when he was a kid. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I you know you, you it makes you kind of wonder that the fact that the Catholicism would have told him that there is not even a proper outlet for wanting to masturbate. Right. That anything that he is doing is a perversion. Right. And it's, then, it's very hard to tell the difference between masturbating dressed up as a king and jumping on top of a model. Right, because it's all bad. Right. We've talked about this many, many times. If you say all sins are the same and all sex is, is sick and icky, then this is what happens. Right. People have a hard time doing it in a way that's not harmful to others. And so I, th- I think that, that there is some real damage that can come from, one, not facing your fears— so, you know, I don't know, perhaps he, he could have used some working through about venereal disease and all of that, right? So mm-hmm. there's one element that could have helped him in his own sexual life, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the other piece would be, um, you know, just being able to be truthful about what his attractions are, yeah. whether or not he acts on it. You know, that's, that's, his, that's up to him. Yeah. But, but being able to be honest and truthful with who you are allows this stuff to not eke out in some very unhealthy ways. Right. And that's why I like this language. We're kind of toying with the idea that you can keep your kink, but you should avoid your perversion. And the perversion is where you have not integrated your sexuality with your values and your beliefs. And so it comes out in these, uh, in these ways that you're not even quite sure, uh, at a, at a conscious level, what you're doing. And this is why I think if I can, if I can, before we kind of 
put our verdict to what we experienced and what we think of Dolly in general and his art, uh, I want to talk about the positives. Okay. okay. So the the first thing that's positive is I've I've noticed in college that theater and music and fine art have always been really important, especially at Christian college campuses, because there are things that need to be expressed on these in these communities that cannot be fully expressed cognitively and literally, right? Mm-hmm. Like like explicitly. Mm-hmm. So if I say, you know, I'm feeling like I need more spirituality or mysticism in my life, people are going to then look up those words. They're going to say, no, we disagree with this. But if you have a mystical approach to your spirituality um, through your art, it, it kind of gets away mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. from the censure, you know, yeah. in a way. Like, I mean, not always. Certainly uh, everyone, I'm sure, is aware that Christian colleges have, have severely censured art. But it's, it's an area where you can express and play with themes that you couldn't express elsewhere. And, in fact, this is... Uh, this is what the surrealists were were partly trying to do. Um, we often use the word surreal, you know, to mean, oh, this was kind of a weird experience. But so the surrealists were looking to kind of apply the uh, idea of, of the subconscious in psychoanalysis and Freud, which was really popular in the early 20th century. And they were going to apply it to their art. So instead of painting things that you see in nature, it's things that you see in your dreams. Mm-hmm. You're trying to paint the dreamscape. And I think this is actually very helpful uh, for the same reason I really like Bosch. Right? Like Bosch, to me, uh, I, I know that people still, you know, people are, are very, um, very fond of saying that uh, he was a conservative Catholic and that that's, you know, what he was doing. And I think maybe that's true. But then again, so so was Dolly, in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Like, our, you know, um, that, that, that doesn't tell me anything. The fact that you're really devout and conservative Catholic doesn't mean that you don't like anal sex, <laughs> you know. Right. Like so, I think uh, that that's there. But but there were these things that haunted Bosch that are on the you know on display at the Prado, where again, as I said in the opening, Salvador Dali was going to would go and and spent time there. I mean, Bosco El Bosco is like considered a Spanish treasure, even though he's Dutch, mm-hmm. you know. But but what does that do? It allows us you know, to wrestle with things. And I think that less helpful than Freud uh, or more helpful than Freud is, Sigma, um, is, um, is Carl Gustav Jung. And Jung talks about confronting the shadow self and facing these images head on and valuing them that, uh, that in many ways this is our individual mythology. So like the world outside, the way that we cope with life and good and evil in society is through literature and myth and storytelling, but our own inner myth is these dreams that we have. Mm-hmm. And so if you're disintegrated, if your life isn't integrated, if you are not consistent, if you're feeling out of connection between your lived experience and your spiritual life and so forth, then focusing on these subconscious images and non-literal themes is really good for you. It's helpful. And so somebody who wants to go, and, and people love Bosch, people love Dali, because they are non-literal and they can kind of play with it. They can say, what does this mean to me? It's, it's well, like, and, you know, and there's archetypal. And there's a lot of people that, I've hear, that I hear that have gotten um, into him and that they really Dolly. want... Yeah, yep. Dolly. And they really want uh, to, you know, be immersed, immersed in his art. Are people who say, you know he didn't quite fit in as like what you might consider is normal. And I don't fit in. And I don't fit in as normal. And I see, you know, so they have a connection to sort of that strangeness or what might, you know, and, and he had a lot of anxiety and that came through in his painting. So I have anxiety is kind of, you know, sometimes the response. And, and so he kind of helps in a way to normalize the madness that we might be feeling inside, right? Mm-hmm. And and so for those people, you know, that feel like they just don't fit in, then this is like, okay, here's somebody else. Even if, you know, even if they don't have the same, you know, sorts of things or whatever, they can at least identify with, you know, with somebody that is, is different from other people. And I think that's the important piece is that <laughs> we often like, like, 
you know, how do we define normal? I think right. I think that that is often way too narrow <laughs> so that many, many people can pretty much say, I don't feel normal. Right. <laughs> so that's that's one thing that, you know, is, is frustrating about the lack of uh, truthfulness. But positive about the, the role of Dali in that culturally people are start, you know, starting to say, I'm going to get more and more comfortable with the non-literal with with facing my subconscious mm-hmm. and also recognizing that the world isn't as clean cut as the Norman Rockwell painting. That's makes what, it out. yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot more messy. And, than and in that fact, is. this is, I was reading uh Dermot McCulloch's book on the history of silence in the Christian church. And, you know, he talks about how in many ways, devotional art, especially in the Eastern church, something that is, you know, not as thorough in the West, although it's there uh, with the icon had a lot to do with bypassing the hierarchy of religious institution. So grandma can have a little icon and have a direct encounter with the holy in her house Mm. instead of having to go to church. So the Mm. art being the symbolic stuff, we're talking about now Eastern Orthodox icons, um, there was a controversy the empire in Byzantium in the East said, no, we want to be like the Muslims. We don't want to have all these idols and these images. And in one sense, it was about that. In another sense, it was about the idea that if you wanted to access God, you had to come to church. And so art is a way of having a spiritual experience uh, and, and also in many ways, a psychotherapeutic experience without a professional uh, pastor, Mm -hmm. priest or, uh, or psychiatrist. And, also, just a little note, because you were you were just telling me this morning when you were you know, looking at some of that, that the the difference of, uh, you know, locking the doors or not locking the doors of the church. And yeah, so and, and the Catholic church, churches often left the doors unlocked. Yeah, but the Protestants, Protestants. We locked our doors. So that you couldn't go in and sit in silence. And, and be in the church yeah. with all of that without the, the priest right there or, yeah. you know, without the the service. We didn't realize this because when we were traveling through England, we were very glad to be able to go into most churches to sit contemplatively. Oh, it was wonderful. But you know? that was more of an Anglo-Catholic move. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that had been going consistently and maybe some places it had. But especially in Reformed Christian circles, the Calvinistic circles, they didn't want people going in and looking at art and having a meditative experience. So to that extent, I also really appreciate Dali mm-hmm. saying, hey, I'm also going to do theology <laughs> in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like with with his uh, depictions of Christ or whatever. There was a particular piece of art that you really actually, I thought, found powerful and, and helpful and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was, um, it's called uh, Vision of the Angel. And so what it, what it was interesting about it is, so there's this kind of angel. We'll link to this, friends, at protectyournaga.org, where you can also click through to Boondockers Welcome and Harvest Hosts. Uh, and if you do it that way, you'll give a little kickback to uh, Jeff and Stacy, so we can keep doing this podcast for you mm-hmm. and talking about uh, perverted artists. Hey there, friends. In our travels across the U.S., we have found a website that we absolutely love. It's called Harvest Hosts. Could you imagine camping overnight in a vineyard, distillery, brewery, or a golf course all to yourself? We've been doing it, and it is absolutely magical. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link where you can sign up and get 15% discount on the annual fee. We think it'll put a smile on your face, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and you can stay all around the country for free. We hope you dig it as much as we do. Check it out. So, <laughs> so, the, so the vision of the angel, so the, the angel's sitting there uh, kind of on this, you know, rock or whatever and looking over, uh, you know, with his chin propped on his fist as he's kind of bent over, staring at what is this father figure or perhaps, you know, godlike figure. And it's a big thumb, <laughs> a big, you know, green thumb. This is kind of a, a Trinity motif. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes. And, and then I'll go back. It's to just the, a thumb stuck on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Thumb. Yeah. Coming up out of the ground. And I'll come back to the thumb in a second. And then there's this, you know, maybe the sun like figure, perhaps Christ like figure that has these branches kind of growing out of it in multiple places. And it's just a human, you know, kind of human form. Filled with duh, 
to use the uh, <laughs> Chinese concept, the 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 de being the virtue or the power of of energy, and maybe even more importantly, filled with chi. Mm-hmm. You know? And and just you know the 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 person is not looking towards the thumb. It's actually the the it's facing out towards the direction out into the world type mm-hmm. of thing, just to kind of give you sort of this image. And so this thumb that this this angel is looking at. And I, you know, when reading the little write up, so as much as the write up was, um, you know, was correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if, if I'm wrong, <laughs> you can let me know. But the write up was basically saying that, you know, essentially what you do have is the Trinity, the, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not quite so impressed with this thumb. First of all, if, if God is, you know, being pictured as a thumb, it's interesting because it's very human, of course, yeah. the, you know, the thumbprint, the, you know, the human, you know, finger, but it also is like, you know, you think about it like our, you know, the, the powerful, you know, yep. I don't know, but interesting, yeah. yeah. But the thing with the thumb too, is that then there's like cracks in it and you see that it's a facade and that there's like bricks, right. <laughs> you know, underneath the cracks, you know, so, so this father God's a construct. Yes. A human construct. It's a human <laughs> construct. And what I really appreciated about this is it made me think and it helped kind of give me a visual image and language to the fact that not you know it the human version of god is wanting <laughs> and you know we only have we have a limited capacity from which we could even possibly understand this all powerful you know all like Everything that I mean, how how can our small brains fully, fully understand what God is, right? And we can in 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 certain. I'm not saying that we can't at all, but we can grasp little pieces of it. But when we start to, you know, this thumb is God. Yes, and we hold on to that. Yeah. Then that 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 part, whatever, isn't actually you know, part of God is going to break down. And so when you start to see cracks, even in your own theology or whatever, that's not an invitation to say, oh, the whole thing is, or shouldn't, I mean, you could do whatever you want, but <laughs> it shouldn't be an, inv- or the, the idea shouldn't be that now we've got to, you know, toss this whole thing out. Right. It's that somehow we've missed some things here. Somehow we haven't, we're not doing this right. And so Start looking and and peer even harder into, keep exploring and seeing, you know, what might be the truth behind it all or where did, you know, where is it going wrong and and how did it get there? And so there's so many times in the Bible when I read a verse and I'm like, oh man, that's odd. Like what in the world is going on here? And especially when like I was younger, I would just blow right past it. I'm like, I don't really understand it. I guess it wasn't meant for me to understand what's going on here or whatever. And I would just keep moving on. Now, when I come to those places, I stop and I reread it. I start to look for, you know, the context. And then if I need to, you know, I start searching online or whatever to kind of like what might be going on here, you know? And, and, and so I would say that anywhere, I mean, if you're religious at all and you do come across something that seems odd, explore it more. That and, might be the most important part of your religion. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. And, so, really. and I even, you know, not the Tao Te Ching isn't a religion, but even with those chapters, when I start to see something and I'm like, I don't quite understand what's going on here. I don't so quickly just dismiss it and say, you know, oh, well, I possibly, you know, like it's not meant to be understood or, or there's no way I ever can or will. You know, I, sometimes I wonder and I go, you know, back to the Chinese trying to figure out, okay, what is the, what are the words here? <laughs> you know, what are the actual things? And, and usually when somebody writes something down or paints a painting, they, they might've had more thought to it than you realize. Yeah. yeah. And so again, you find something that trips you up or something that is odd. I, I'd say, I encourage you look harder into it. Don't just so easily gloss past it. And sometimes the stuff can be really troubling and let it trouble you. Let it trouble you. Yeah. (laughs) And let it sit. And maybe you won't know all the answers right then. And I'm not saying like, keep, you know, like don't go, you know, make yourself crazy over it. But I say, just keep that in mind and maybe something to come back to. Interesting thing about that, uh, that, that, uh, piece, you can see it as a, a painting, 
you, you can see it as a lithograph. You could see it as a sculpture. So, mm-hmm. you know, he would he would re redo these motifs, you know, in different uh, in different media. The the thing that always struck me in that is that there's an, an the angel has a crutch holding up the wing, and so yeah. Sigmund Freud talks about essentially religion is a, a kind of a crutch, a a, um, a coping mechanism. You know, uh, your your parents don't love you as much as you thought, you know, and so you're disappointed, and so you you project this God into the sky. But, you know, wrestling with that, you could be afraid of it and then walk away and say, oh, look at this godless jerk who's a pervert and he doesn't, you know, believe in the true God. Or you can say, look, he is expressing something that's beautiful and really tragic, in my opinion, because he could have gone a different way, I think, given a different setting. And I think what's interesting about that is that the 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 youthful figure of the human, the Jesus figure, the the son, mm-hmm. is totally alive and ready to go, right? The Holy Spirit right. is tired out, and the Father is a facade. But there is this embodiment. There is life. There is some energy there. That's where we see it, and it's not too far off from Lutheran spirituality. For instance, it said, really, if you want to know anything about God, you got to know God through Christ. Right. Because everything else is a monstrosity. It's an abstraction or something. Right. And I think that this then goes back to that idea that art and mysticism are connected. Catherine of Siena, the, the mystic, said, quote, To attain charity, you must dwell constantly in the cell of self-knowledge, end quote. What I think is important about this is... For us to love each other, we also do have to confront our perversions, our weirdness, our shadow selves in this art. Mm-hmm. So I don't see anything problematic at all about the honesty of the art. And I think that's why I liked going with you as the death doula, because, uh, you know, like yeah. as we were approaching it, you were saying, I don't know, like, h- how, how did you see what your task was as we were approaching the exhibit? Oh, well, so I, I, th- I think it's really important two things to keep in mind because you know there was that piece of me that didn't really you know I'm like gosh we even go I called my sister even like what do you think and she's like I don't know just go and I'm like yeah of course that's right you know we should just go right and I realized yes that is the answer in that I mean it's different if you know we're pouring thousands of dollars to support you know the Dolly Foundation or something like that but you're not (laughs) you're not going to get tainted by seeing this art yeah but Keep your wits about you when you're walking in there is the point. I think that's and, a good thing. anything theme, yeah. that you're approaching. So, you know, when you're reading something or or whatever, yes, when when you're going for nourishment, then stick to the stuff that, you know, is going to feed you. But you can also, it's very important sometimes to look and face what some of these other things are. Yes, so that we don't like that. So not they're just like the boogeyman or right. or the 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 thing that's going to like creep into you or something. I don't right. know because when you're doing it with just sort of again, I you know I told myself like okay, just have you know an like an open mind of not you know judging. If I come in judging right away, right everything you won't be able to listen. Then I won't be able to listen or and see what any of this is and. And maybe I did already come in a little judgmental, but, but, but I don't, I mean, I, I think that honestly, because the first thing we saw was, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of that Israel stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, this isn't so bad. Well, they kept the, there was a one hall where it was like the later life stuff that it got really crazy. Yeah. Imprints of an anus and so forth. Yeah. Yes. I mean, literal. Which is fine. Right. Right. (laughs) That could be, that could be great too. But it, but it was just a different, different. A different thing. And, and the fact that, um, he was able to use so many different types of art, um, and, you know, watercolor versus, you know, the, also the sculptures and, you know, great precision, right. And detail. And what what was amazing, because this was probably really hard. When he was on. Yeah. Every once in a while I had something a little sloppy. You know, I felt like, you know, maybe a high school student, like, oh, good job there, pal. But then you also wonder, you know, you know how sometimes like you're kind of like testing something out and then maybe that even gets sold, you know, like, you know, who knows how much this was an actual like finished piece of, you know, some of that stuff. But what I did appreciate, which was became um, obvious in looking, you know, at the exhibit was you can go sometimes and see like, way in the background is this little person um and and the detail with which that little like 
person could look so perfectly like a person in the background is this tiny little thing. Like the amount of like the intricacy of it was amazing. And to be able to do that with even just the, the smallest of things. Um, the other thing is, is uh, he was able very much to, um, sorry, he was very able to very much copy other pieces of art from very well-known artists. Right. And he did a, a really good he, job. He had technical skills. So, and, and he, you know, somewhere it said that he thought first you, you know, you master the art and then you can create your own art. And I do appreciate that piece too, sometimes of, you know, even like kind of with, you know, with your students and when you're teaching something, it's kind of nice to understand before you start playing with forms and things right? to really know what something is. For you what it master is, the concept, yeah. Because then it's with that then you can throw your yourself into it and tweak with it, um, because you you know you understand and know what the first thing was, right? Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that. But sorry, I'm getting off track from <laughs> the death doula part. I think for me, it's keeping an open mind, yeah. also just looking and seeing what is being painted here. So I, I saw a lot of the religious stuff. I saw a lot of the other like sexual stuff. I saw, you know, so, and I definitely could see the his fear of death in there. And like I said, the anxiety. So you know, if, if you're looking at it and, and, you know, rather than judging him for any of it, you went in just with discernment and and compassion. And it's like, yes, it's like, okay, so, you know, what, you know, what, you know, if if there, there are a lot of things that I think he could have been helped with if he were able to work through them with somebody in his life. I want to give this narcissistic creeper a hug at, (laughs) at, at 17 and say, Hey kid, listen, Right. I don't know what happened. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. But like, Hey, Um, Hey pal, like maybe that, that sense of abandonment and loss of love and that, and that terror, you know, like it, he's, when I was a kid, I would have said, we can't look at this stuff. We can't consume this. And I think this is kind of the, the punchline to our, to our exploration here. When we're asking what can we consume when it comes to art? and culture Mm -hmm. you can consume it all but are you using it as your nourishment or is it like you know the the odd flavoring uh, on the top of something you know or in this in this case i guess what are we doing with it one of the things that we did was we learned to have compassion on what what could this young brilliant person's life been like you know, okay, yeah, he's a narcissist. <laughs> maybe he's, sometimes there's a, not a lot of therapy that can fix that. But maybe we can do better with the next young Dolly but, and not force him into this kind of odd corner where... And one thing, yeah, one thing too, when you look at narcissism, you know, it's it's easy for people to um, attack narcissists and they hurt people. Yeah. But it is that self-love because they act, they, that they show on the outside because they don't have the yeah. self-love on the Narcissists inside. Narcissists are terrified of the world and feel shitty. Right. And so fixing or, you know, but addressing that, mm-hmm. you know, getting to what that is and helping somebody, you know, kind of walk through, recognize and, you know, how to figure out how to move forward from there. Then like there will be, Again, these ugly expressions, it comes out in ugly ways when you don't have that self-love, yeah. when you don't, you know, when you live in this world of, you know, fear and self-disgust and yeah, shame. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that was what was evident to me in his art was he lived in a world of self-disgust and shame, all trying to kind of cover up at least with the friends and the parties, all of these other distractions and being an event, being a yeah. thing. So that so he that could people, be loved because he wanted fame. So that people would love him. And he didn't yeah. care about money, no. although he definitely didn't mind, um, you know, <laughs> milking people for money. And The art community saw him as a sellout. <laughs> yeah. So too commercial, uh, I'm not, did commercials. So I'm not saying that, um, you know, that, that money didn't, you know, matter that he, but what I am saying is that what he cared about was fame yeah. and he needed the love of people. Yes. Uh, because he did not have that self-love. And friends, this is the message for you. 
if you hate yourself and you don't have self-love, there are going to be, you know, times when you are metaphorically throwing wet cats in the air and you're not being nice to cats because you haven't been nice to yourself. Right. If you loathe yourself. It will come out. Yeah. And And, and hurting other people or other things. Yeah. And so thank you, Stacey, for going with me because that, that I think really helps um, to, to, I think really put a, put a nice, you know, highlight to what I think the big, big message is for this idea of, you know, if we're trying to surf the Tao in life, if we're trying to be faithful to the way of Jesus, whatever our, whatever our goals are in life, sometimes we live in religious communities that say, no, cut it all off, block yourself off from all of this subversive art. I think being subverted by this art is good for you, right? It is good for you on occasion to have an alteration of your perspective, to see things in a different way, to be startled, to be terrified, to be unsettled, to be disgusted. These are all emotions that we must face, so it's good to face them through art. However, um, one thing, though, that I think is also important is selectivity, though, in what we put in our own lives on a more regular basis. So I listen to heavy metal on occasion, but what I listen to most of the time is dub. And the reason I listen to dub is not because I'm Rastafarian, but because the imagery of Rastafarianism is often going to be about not letting the bad guys uh, trap you into their way of thinking, mm-hmm. right? Babylon's way of thinking. Um, following the way of God rather than the way of the the business and the political, you know, money, power, and glory. Right. And so when I'm driving down the road, I want to have this constant reminder of this idea that, that there is a better way. Right. Whereas if I'm listening to hip hop, that's talking about, uh, you know, brutalization of women, sexual violence against women and, and, and people and whatever, like, like I remember getting really angry at Christians saying, oh, you can't listen to Eminem. And I was like, you prudes. Like, I enjoy listening mm-hmm. to Eminem. And that's all true. And so when it's a prohibition, that's one thing. But in my own life, at some point, I said, this is not really wholesome. I'm not enjoying what is going into my head. Well, and It's I, important to know what Eminem's up to. But like as my daily diet, you know, right. choking your girlfriend is not something I want to have on the radio. Yeah, and I and I think I do notice like a different like a different <laughs> flow to you. Yes. <laughs> if you're, if you have listened or are listening to that music, it's yeah. like, dub you know, was created like a, to put you in you that know. better space. Right. And, and so, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is like, so I personally don't want to own a, a piece of Dolly art. And I, the only reason I might, except for be, the one with the thumb, that'd be interesting. Well, yeah. <laughs> if it were, if it were to be some, some sort of lesson or some, right, something right. like that, but as like, something that you're always, but I also, you know, and I also would say though, that one thing I do want, um, to embrace more of in my life is is the idea kind of like the the Marie Kondo idea of what brings you joy right and not necessarily always what do I want to turn away from but what do I want to turn toward yes that's what the season's about baby and turning and and but surrounding myself with those things and so you know I would say like what what does the art that you have in your house say about you and and why you know what what is its meaning in your life? And, and just realize that these things do say something. And so even if it's an expensive piece of art, you know, what, what is it saying? And what's it saying to you? What's it saying to your guests? I'll tell you this, uh, what I'm really appreciative of is I see you beautiful this morning, Stacey, I'm looking to the left of you and I see that uh, piece of Taoist art that we picked up in Yangshuo, China. And it, it is, uh, one of the reasons I got it is precisely because I love how it just kind of collects the, the, the different things that I like about Taoist art in general. You've got the, the big landscape, the landscape and the, and the natural um, mountain peaks. That's what's really interesting. There is a fisherman in the lower left and there's a, a dude with his ox you know, and then there's some boats going by and then there's a house that's nicely integrated into nature. But the point of it all is that there is an attention to and love of naturalness as it is, right. you know, and respect for the natural as it is. Then you've got other movements in art that are that are kind of pushing against this entirely. And in some ways, Dolly's work, this is the, the thing that that is, is, is troubling to me, is this idea that that there are connections sometimes between postmodernity and fascism. Not always, but it does sometimes happen. You know, I've, I've been always pushing against 
conservative Christians who hate reading the postmodern thinkers. I think so many of them are really interesting and helpful. But there is a connection between a kind of um, uh, deconstruction and uh, meaninglessness and nihilism. Mm. And we saw this, you know, uh, when we were talking about the Tao Te Ching and uh, anarchism, how the last season, uh, last episode of last season, season three, last episode, we talked about how to to help heal the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the things there we talked about was this idea that in... In the aftermath of the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu is dead, of course, and, and probably several people were contributing to what we th- we see today as the received Tao Te Ching. But there were those who said, we're going to be natural and we're going to promote a harmonious world that is non-hierarchical and anarchistic in this this libertarian socialist sense. We're in the village. We're, we're cultivating a world that's flourishing. Mm-hmm. That's one side. And then there were those who were nihilists that said there's no meaning in the world, so do whatever you want. Well, and wasn't Dolly influenced by Nietzsche? Yeah. So because of this, I think that that's the reason why I'm less interested in Dolly's work than I was before. I thought it was tapping into the mysticism of Bosch, but in some ways I think he takes some of the motifs from Bosch. He's kind of cribbing some of Bosch's pictures and putting them into new... Mm-hmm. contexts but when freedom goes into nihilism i think that's spiritually dangerous nihilism there's no meaning to the world right and and this happens all the time and i think you know if there is no meaning then there's no meaning but until you have the last wick snuffed out you you have an ethical and spiritual obligation to hunt down seek pursue and cultivate Meaning, yeah. Uh, Victor Frankl, you know, um, the the psychologist is helpful here. If you have meaning, you can endure a lot. If you have meaning, there, uh, like the faith, Jesus says, of a mustard seed, seed allows you to move mountains. When you lose faith, and this is what Dolly said, he he was religious without the faith. You do end up with what's the difference between ejaculating on a, a model right. or, or painting the Mona Lisa? Like, what's are, the difference? People are just objects, right? Yeah. And, and it doesn't really it's matter. It's all it, just irrelevant. Right. And that, friends, is, is I think what we, Stacy and I, in, in Dow Surfing, we side with the other end of that. We, we said, no, no, freedom doesn't lead to meaninglessness. Freedom means that we finally get to see a tree as a tree and we can appreciate art that embraces the real, the good, the true, and the beautiful, even in non-literal ways. doesn't have to be literal, but you could have some people doing surrealist type stuff that have maybe a meaning that's more redemptive. You know, and I think we've maybe seen some, but regardless of what the art is, it certainly can be more redemptive, even if it's not hyper-realism or something. Right, and one last last thing was when you mentioned that uh, Dolly was sort of kicked out of the um, the Surrealist Club because yes. of uh, you know his um, fascism. fascism. Yeah. So I was wondering because there is the or at least alleged there fascism. is the quote that he he said is I am not I'm not a surrealist I am sur- you know I am surrealism or yeah, I am right. surrealist and yeah, so like, it's like you can't kick not, me out he's not like yeah he is the embodiment of it is what he classic was narcissist he, <laughs> and people and, asked him if he was doing drugs what was the line. He said, yeah, like I, I'm, I was not doing drugs. I am a drug. Yeah. And I think that that's what he, you know, was proud of for himself. Like he himself like was, you know, what he, he was an event. Right. And, and so there was something about him that people wanted to experience whether they were repulsed by it or not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and. I mean, I, I think it's a complete lie that he didn't do drugs, but who knows? Yeah, it, especially by the the 80s, things had kind of gotten out of control. You know, the 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 beautiful days of the of the early hippie movement kind of gave rise to a lot of ne'er do wells. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, and and this is this is definitely something we'll talk about on this season. How you know, even there's there's some evidence that the government infiltrated the drug scene in Los Angeles um, to kind of uh, to kind of intentionally taint 
drugs that might not have been as dangerous as they were eventually, right? And then eventually you get cocaine, crack, like heroin, like we're, right? And so like all of that gets out of hand. So by the time you're dealing with like, you know, Dolly talking in the late 70s, this is a world where if you're into drugs, you're probably being unhealthy, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever we, we, we call drugs. And of course, this is also, you know, as you get closer to the war on drugs and all of this, um, the AIDS epidemic, intravenous, um, you know, uh, drug use and, and just all sorts of things that are going on. So you'll see people always denying it, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Increasingly, you start to see people that are obviously doing drugs constantly uh, of some kind denying that they're doing drugs. Right. But the thing that was interesting is that there is a way in which even if he's telling the truth, it's, it is true that what do drugs do um, for people spiritually? And we think maybe about more of like the and theogens or the or like what a shaman would use that's what he was doing so you don't have to you don't have to go uh, take some kind of psychedelic substance to be able to have a psychedelic experience through silence contemplation uh fasting sleeplessness breath work if you want breath work right you could do it (laughs) that's kind of dangerous be careful but it works because what's it doing just like dolly's art it's changing your perspective and it is for all of the unhealth in the life of Dolly, and the way in which some some of this may come through as a kind of nihilism in his art, being able to shift your perspective to go into that dreamscape is really, really helpful for all of us, I think, even if it's not where we live. It's definitely, like Dagobah, a place to go visit. Right. Well, with that, friends, that's all we got. Until next time, peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.